Hey everybody, you're listening to Raw with Marty Gallagher, J.P. Bryce, and Jim Steele, brought to you by Iron Company. Today in part three, we continue navigating through a series of Marty Gump Gallagher bus stops of strength uh, and sport history. So today, uh, last time we kind of left off with, with Mark Chalet. We're going to get into a little bit deeper into Mark Chalet starting in 1980. That's a very important bus stop here with Marty. He's got a lot of... Uh, of um, history there with Mark, uh, training, coaching, everything. So this was an, a very important part of history for him. So we'll take it from there. Um, Marty, where do you want to start, uh, start there in 1980? I don't know, man. This is a little bit like talking about Japanese baseball for a lot of people. You know, it's like we talk about these people, but it's if, if the physicality – of these guys is mind-blowing how large and muscular they were and uh it was just at cassidy's uh now i trained at hughes for that great period five-year period where i was training under cassidy the world super heavyweight powerlifting champion and bob smith the man who introduced Tai Chi to to America at the same time. And and I'm kind of getting formulated by those two guys. Uh, The hardest of the hard, the softest of the soft, right? And so I'm devising this style somewhere in in between. Hughes, at Hughes, we smashed ourselves twice a week, right? Squat bench dead, shoulders, arms. Uh, Saturday, same thing again, Tuesday or Wednesday. Right. Yeah, yeah. When you started with incredibly him, incredibly demanding, incredibly were, demanding. Weren't you guys doing it three times a week though? Originally, no, 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 no. He, when he came up in the fifties and the sixties, yeah. that was the bodybuilding. Uh, what Jimmy? The Formula. three time a week whole body. They you train body three days a week, right? Yeah, yeah. Every muscle three times a week, right. based on the faulty scientific supposition that a muscle degraded unless it was trained every 36 hours. Yes, right. Right. Well, guess what? Ain't well, true. true yeah. Ain't, right. So all those people doing all that stuff, it was actually counterproductive. Well, it, not from a bodybuilding perspective. From a strength standpoint. From a yeah. strength and power standpoint. Yeah. It was counterproductive from a bodybuilding standpoint. Uh, not so much. You could sculpt a certain Zane type physique, uh, you know, using light, light movements and a lot of movements. And, you, you know, it was the old, the old uh, muscle beach look, the Steve yeah. Reeves and uh, yeah. those guys. Then you go out and do some gymnastics or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Athletic, very athletic looking physique. Yeah, yeah. and they do, yeah. It'd be like the Vince Garanda school of West Coast bodybuilding. And no, we don't squat because we don't want our butts to get big. Overtonus. Can't have overtonus. You know, uh, that's a, there was a difference. There's a rugged East Coast look versus that aesthetic, pretty thing in California. Nothing against California. No, no, nothing against California, JP. Um, So, anyway, so. So Cassidy, and again, in strength, powerlifting didn't exist until 1965, right? Yeah. Up until then, it was the three Olympic lifts, and mm-hmm. that cut about 80% of the strength athletes right there. As soon as they tried to do a snatch or a clean and jerk, eh, that was it. Yeah. The power clean was tough enough. 
we were good pressers. Um, but then powerlifting wasn't founded until 1965. So when it was, guys like Cassidy, the pioneers, they cut back from the three time a week to twice a week because their bodies couldn't take it. Yeah. They couldn't squat and deadlift three times. Yeah, and, and they weren't about having a light day or something. You know what I mean? No, it was, no, 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 yeah. no. It was about pushing your numbers upward, pushing your body weight upward. Well, the body weight part, the body weight part came later. They discovered that the only way they could cope with that intense training where you're smashing yourself twice a week is to slam calories and rest. Yeah. If you can't do that, don't try it. You won't you know, that is very a fun way to train, man. You just bust your butt for a couple hours and, and go to the buffet as much as you want. Go to the buffet yeah. and then and then you fall asleep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you don't want to do anything else. It may it may mess your squat up for Thursday. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, so it's only twenty seven weeks until the Olympia. I couldn't you know, go to like somebody. Somebody help you? Can you help me move? No, man, I got a squat. No, you know, talking. you know, I remember <laughs> talking to. You know, I was talking to Kirk about this one time. He said he was eating every two hours and then a, a snack in between that. And, at night, you know, he would, and he'd set his alarm at night and get up and eat a chicken sandwich that was next to it. But day. that's how, you know, because I played football a little bit in high school. And I remember when I was I was trying to gain weight and I was lifting, you know, I was, I was, uh, I was about 180 pounds trying to get to 200. Man, it was, uh, it was, I just made it my job to, to eat every few hours and just pack it on and just eat as much as I could. And yeah, buffets and everything else. And man, you just puff, you know, and that's, of course, when you're that age, you burn it all off and you, you stay relatively <coughs> lean, but. You know. Some do. The athletic burn it all off. Yeah. Well, I was playing football so great too, so. Not the, not the, yeah, well, that's what I said, the athletic. Yeah, right. it was Not, so great. You didn't have to think about your health. You could just eat whatever you want. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a garbage think, disposal. You know? Think of my day. Think of my day. There were no seat belts. Yeah. There were no warning labels on cigarette packs. Yeah. And there was no nutritional advice on food. There was leaded paint that we drank what out a, of the hose. What, yeah. a great, what a great era to live in, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. And then my dad. That the baby seat was a care like a basket. They just put uh, no, 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 no. We slept in the back window. We got up in the back window, <laughs> and we took a nap because it was warm up there. <laughs> and, the, and the seat belt was your mom throwing her hand out, her arm out <laughs> to hold you. <laughs> that yeah, was the seat right. belt. That's right. Yeah. And and we so we we ate we. We always look to get bigger. That's the whole deal was we wanted to bulk up. Right. And when you got bigger, you got stronger. When you got stronger, you got bigger. And the more you ate, the better you became at eating. So the more you were, your capacity improved. So we did that for five years and got to a certain level. And right at about the time we were running out of the, the basement was just getting too small for us. Literally, yeah. you get five or six big guys in there, and it was like it was like in uh, lifting in Fred Munster's basement as, as a steam room. Right? How high was the ceiling in there, Marty? Oh, it was like nine feet. Yeah, it yeah, was it was high. it was brutal. It was brutal. So anyway, but so Mark, and then Mark opens 
this gem that him and his dad trick out. And as, as you boys, I've, uh, if you look in uh, the Purposeful Primit, I think it's on page 147, 148. You get the pictures of this beautiful, spacious, open, lovely floor-to-ceiling windows. It was sunny and bright. And it seemed like everybody always made games, right? And it was family-run. And Buck was a Buck had been a high-ranking DC police officer, um, and he didn't cotton to fools lightly, right. and neither did Mark. But you know, the mom or mom might be behind the counter, the sister, whoever. Somebody, somebody from the family was always behind the counter, and I mean, it was uh, right from the start. It was successful because it it was like a magnet. It drew every strong guy in a 50-mile radius, right? There's Just Marty, all of a sudden, oh, everybody showed up because this is the place. Marty, on page 44 in Purposeful Primitive, so there's a great picture of Mark uh, squatting 1,000 pounds. And yep. you, you kind of describe the setting there, and Buck is in the back. This is So this is yep. Mark's dad. He's kind of leaning on yep. the wall, watching his son squat this 1,000 pounds. Did... How, he must have been very supportive as, as a dad. I mean, he, watching your son do this must have been just incredible uh, to watch. But how supportive was he? Was he pretty vocal about it? Or Yes, and uh, Buck was sort of non-demonstrative. He was not a emotional, rah-rah type of guy. He just yeah. would note it and be more like General Patton going, well, at least you didn't break your knee. <laughs> yeah. I mean... What an incredible thing to see your son squatting a thousand pounds. That that would be so yeah. cool. But there were there weren't like cheerleader parents back then. Like nah. you know, I was like, ah, right, good job, son. That was a big yeah. deal. You know, I'm sure. Uh, we and didn't he, hear we didn't hear a lot of that. Uh, he grew up in the depression and World War II and all that. <laughs> yeah. So much, you know, his son squat a thousand. That's great and everything, but you know, we had D Day in Normandy. You know what? <laughs> you're you're exactly right. And guys in that era, yeah. they they weren't as uh, open and talkative about stuff, oh, you know, no. especially about going to war and stuff like that. But cheering. Yeah. My, my father fought with Patton's third and refused to talk about the war. Yeah. yeah see, so he wasn't, you know. He went on a hundred mile force march in three days to break those guys out of Bastogne, and I never. The only time I ever found out about it was looking off the History Channel at the documentaries. Wow. He Man. wouldn't. He wouldn't tell us anything. He wouldn't bring it up. He had a nasty ass scar in his arm. How'd you get that? Oh, I fell in a milk bottle. My aunt goes, uh, "No, he didn't. <laughs> he got that in the war. He had a bunch, bunch yeah, of medals. Was, yeah. We never saw any of them." So anyway, getting back to, so then the Chalet period started. So there were two parallel courses going on at the same time. Number one was my own athletic career as a lifter. But simultaneously, Mark asked me to coach him. Right. Mark wanted a, a coach at the Nationals and hopefully the Worlds. Um, and so, yeah, I said, yeah. I was honored to work with him. He was a high-level lifter. Yeah. Plus, I didn't have to do much because he really didn't listen to my advice anyway. He wanted you to watch his depth. And all. <laughs> it was easy coaching. Yeah. He knew what he was going to do, and then he was going to do that. Yeah, he wanted me. also he wanted me to work the numbers and the cycling. Yeah. So we'd work 12 weeks backwards, and let's say, I don't know, whatever. It was the 80 
four nationals at 275 pound class and okay mark what realistically do we want to do and we'd go like okay well you know it's going to be tough judging 880 depth not me jp yeah yeah. this time huh yeah it's gone uh so anyway uh we'd say okay let's go to 880 in the squat his bench was always low we'd say okay 504 in the bench and then between 840 and 860 in the deadlift so you'd cycle for that but you'd have to leave mark wanted mark always wanted 14 days before his squat he'd take his last squat workout 14 days before hold on just a minute uh-oh. Hey, we don't call this raw for nothing. That's right, baby. Anything can he happen. He's slapping. He's slapping Stacy around. Just kidding. Just... Hey. Yeah, man. You're this not is slapping her, are you? Jesus. Why they call Take it, it easy. Okay, man. You got it. You know, uh, you know, one of the incredible things about Chalet was his Excuse stance. Me. Excuse me a minute. Yeah. Serenity now. Serenity. Serenity. Take a deep now. breath. Yeah. Take it easy. Serenity now. It's okay. Be okay. Go ahead. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, Mark had a wide ass stance, and uh, he was very questionable on his depth. That was the main thing we worked on. He had to get down to USPF and IPF depth, which is unquestionably below parallel. Yes. Right. And if there's any question about it, it's easy. Flunk it. Yeah. And it's a tough man, and you'd have these guys coming in from these, they'd be like having posting big numbers in regional meets in Des Moines and San Antonio, and then they'd come to the Nationals, and yeah. they'd, they'd bomb out, or they'd get injured. Or even if they, you know, in these days, they come from a different organization, and then they're... Oh, get it. We were in a warm-up room one time, uh, USPF, before it became, you know, USAPO, and Rob Rob Wagner was saying to this kid, it was like his first time in this organization. Man, you got to get those squats down. And now I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Got to get squats down, and you're not even close. I'm good. Bombed out. Bombed out. No depth. You know, it's like it's, it's a whole different thing. A whole different yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. And again, uh, so we we got that down, uh, but in terms of strat strat, and he was Mark was a good competitive lifter. Yeah, right. he got he got better in competition. He's a little bit lazy in training. Now, who was his national <laughs> rival? Who was his big oh, rival? So many. The first and the baddest was John Gamble. Oh, the best man! So, Huge dude. Ooh. he had that type of like dinosaur thickness, man. Just <laughs> he was just like Gamble would normally walk around weighing three ten. Yeah, then he, he makes seventy fives. He sweated down one night, the, no- the night before he set the world record in the total at 2271. I, t- I talked to him that next afternoon, and he had sweated down 23 pounds in 24 hours, going in and out of the shower in a garbage bag. I think, what did he say, 20 in, 10 out. And, and what's amazing is he still lifted those oh, weights. He set a world total record. After he did that for 24 straight hours, he had a two-hour weigh-in. Yeah. You weighed in, then you had two hours to the lifting. So he rehydrated. Yeah, that's all you get. You get two hours in IPF. World and there was no IVs being given to the guys yeah. back then. You didn't have time, man. You didn't, none of that stuff was even possible with two hours. So yeah. he'd take in 
And if you take in too much of that depleted, you, you get uh, go into insulin shock. I know I've done it. Well, okay. it's just amazing. What's What would be fascinating to know well, is... Listen to his list, Jimmy. 881 squat. Yeah. Right. 571 bench. Yeah. No, excuse me, 551 bench and 843 dead. Yeah, his deadlift was crazy. I mean, so what would be interesting after, to see? After losing 23 pounds of body weight? Yeah, so I'm. I would like to know at 310 what were his training weights, or you know, you know what could he lift for, or even a one rep max. I, I got the impression he never really went all that all out in training. Yeah, I, I think he always was kind of one of these in the bank kind of guys. Yeah, yeah, and I think he only really put out when it was showtime. But Makes man, sense. he could then. No one, I don't. No one ever beat him. I. Oh, the first time I ever saw him, I was with Mark. I was coaching Mark. We went to a Don Starr meet, Bill Starr's brother, huh. in Harvey Gross, Maryland. Bill used, uh, Don used to put a meet on every year. Right? Yeah. So we go there, and Bill would be there. Yeah. And George Hector, young George Hector, would be there. And so we took Mark in one year, and we took we took the whole crew, Chalet Lifters, in. And... It, it was good timing leading up to the nationals. So it's like, all right, we're going to go into this local meet. It's like, I don't know, five weeks before the nationals. It'll be a really good, you know, we'll take it like a workout kind of thing. Yeah. Mark always did singles anyway, so it was the same thing. So we went in and Gamble was there, and he was there with Billy Dunn. And Billy oh, Dunn yeah. was the strength coach at UVA. That's right. Big, big, huge guy. He was giant, upper body, had little piano legs. Yeah, then he went with the Giants after that, yeah. So... Don was going to set a world record in the bench press. Big deal. So Don had to get in international level referees and stuff. And so he did that. So, uh, but before you can bench, you got to squat. He bombed out in the squat with 135 three times and was out of the meet. What? Yeah. Then he wanted to fight. <laughs> Typical Maryland guy. And then Gamble's his coach, and Gamp, you know, that's his coach, and Gamble's like all fired up. And I'm looking at this guy going, man, this guy's scary looking. So he comes out, and this is the first time he's ever squatted 800. He goes down, and he goes down on one knee. Oh, man. And Don Starr had these little skinny guys squat, spotting, mm. and the guy can't handle the 400 on one side, and then he goes down on the other knee. And the guy on the left side can't handle the weight. So now they're – then he goes face forward onto, oh. onto the platform with a bar over the behind his neck and between his head and his shoulders. And I went, oh, my God, we've just seen the first powerlifting fatality. It's killed John Gamble. And his body is, like, jigulating around. Jigulating? Yeah, his head is on one side, right? His head is on one side, his body's on the other. It's like he's being electrified, right? Yeah. He's shaking. And so, so what happened? Of, well, I'm going to tell you if you just shut up. So <laughs> a, a bunch of guys run out, up out of the audience and pick the bar up. He jumps up like Superman, like yeah. jumping around like he's just scored a touchdown. Then he comes back and makes it. Nice. <laughs> yeah. He came back after that and made it, huh? Yes. Wow. Yes. He was going to kill everybody there, too. He was uh, so big, man. Man, we need to write an article about him, Marty. He was, I have, I have. I've written about four of them. Oh, well, he was, <laughs> maybe that's where I know all about him then. But, uh, <laughs> that's it. That's the only place you know about him. 
Well, it's somebody old power in the but you know, there's a picture of him, and I don't know if it's one of yours or what. Maybe it's in Purposeful Primitive, where he's deadlifting, and his traps are like over his ears. Oh yeah. It, oh. And again, he's what you're looking at is a shaved down, 25 pounds lighter. Yeah. Version of what he was, you know, 24 hours ago. And it's just a mate, but he had that. I think he had that wrestling background, right? But he wasn't acting like he was dying. He wasn't, you know. He set a world record in the total, Jim. Yeah, he's just like whatever. How do I you set world, world records? You know what I mean? How do you do the best that's ever been done? Unbelievable. Casually, mental, you know? mental strength. He's just that good. Yeah. And he had that. You'd look at him and go, "Oh yeah." Right. Dude, you used to see. I, there's not really. I don't ever see people like that anymore. But just that. Like they wore a polo shirt or something, and you're oh. like, "What the freak is that?" everybody now is like smooth and amorphous, and they're big. They have big upper bodies, and that's great. And, you know, they're all gigantic and stuff. But there's nobody that goes, "Oh my god, look at that!" Yeah. Last uh-huh. one, the last one I saw that really caught my eye was the um, the strength Polish, the strongman Polish guy, Marius. Pugin, Pugin oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, fighting. He was freaky looking. Yeah. So getting back to the Chalet's tale. So that that trip was one of the many that Mark and Buck would put together. I don't remember if they put us all in a little yellow school bus when they took us to these things. But, you know, I mean, we he would enter full 11-man teams. And I don't know, you know, we'd have we'd have national level guys at between 165 and on up, you know? Yeah. Uh, and we travel around it, but, but also the Mark would put on the Temple Hills open every year, which was the, always the biggest meet in the Washington Baltimore area. And, you know, was that, was that at Chalet's gym or was that a community? Center? Uh, no, they put it someplace wherever they could fit the most people. That was a heavily attended. Yeah. I mean, he ran that thing, I think, for almost 20 years. Wow. It was an institutional thing. And, uh, you know, they they did a good job. But uh, my career ended. I shot up pretty quick. When I, oh, and then when I went to Marks, everything went from twice a week heavy to once a week heavy. Yeah. And I'm like, Okay. Saturday or Sunday? Saturday? No, we no we we would do Monday, okay. and it was Monday at four o'clock. It was the most inconvenient time humanly <laughs> possible to pick. And oh, the Beltway. That's what Mark. Yeah, and that's what Mark picked. Well, that's when I'm my strongest. So, all right, great. Okay, thank you, Mark. So that <laughs> that would start at Monday at four, and we'd squat and bench, work up to a single rep, yeah. and on Thursday. Thursday, we'd gather again and we'd work up to a single rep in the deadlift, and we were done. Let me now, ask you, you did the same stuff. That's it. Let me ask single you. Single rep, three lifts, one time a week. Now, how? What? What less can you do? That's awesome. Yeah, got plenty yeah, of time. The only for thing less you can do is not train. Right? The only thing less you can do is not train at all. Now, you were <laughs> uh, before you met up with with Mark. You were training with uh, Hugh Cassidy, so Mark yeah. wanted you to train him. So, did he want? And he kind of did his own thing, as as you've 
said uh, a few different times, but did he actually want to, or did you try to give him some of the the uh, techniques and tactics that, that Hugh had you guys doing? Did he uh, adopt no. any of that, or did he continue no, to no, just no, do no, his own don't thing? Be no, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> Mark, Mark has no interest in you or your ideas. Right. Okay? You know what's, you know what's crazy? Yeah, his deadlift. That hard to understand. It's not hard to understand, and that's the end of it. And he'd look you right square in the face, and he'd say that, and you'd go, okay, I got it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, mm. no, he was the boss. But I'm yeah. looking at, at your book at his stance on the deadlift, and, and as you describe it, you could put – he had like a fist-width stance on That's his the uh, deadlift. It's the Cassidy stance. That's the stance that Hugh invented and passed on to Mark Dimidoc, the first IPF, USPF world champion that Hugh produced. Mark Dimidoc taught it to Mark Chalet. Okay. There right. So that's why Mark Chalet and Mark and Hugh Cassidy and mine and Marshall Peck and and Kirk, anybody that Kirk's looks different because his legs are so wide he had to take a wider stance. Yeah, if you have right. 30 four inch thighs, <laughs> you have to take a wider stance. Right. But if he had like normal legs, he would have been like me and Mark and Hugh and Mark Dimidoc and Don Mills. We all deadlifted the same way. Was it because they were all all great deadlifters? Was it because uh, putting your feet that narrow, you got more quad power out of it? Exactly. It's a leg. It shortens the pole. You know, you try to. You got to have got to have the leg power, buddy. If you don't have the leg power, that you got to use that high hip start. Right. Yeah. It's It's actually easier on your low back. Deadlifting that way. It is because you keep the vertebrae stacked atop one another. The hip hinge doesn't fire until the bar passes the knee. When the bar passes the knee, boom, that hip hinge fires in. It's like Bedford Force cavalry coming in from the right flank, you know, so like, boom. <laughs> so you're at so you're at Chalets, you you've been training progress okay. using his crazy ass yeah. training singles and 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 progressing and getting bigger and getting stronger and get up to a point where I squat 845 weighing 250. Right. And the next week I break my leg in a compound fracture of the left lower leg, drop 700 pounds on it. Oh, so I thought you broke it doing 845. Yeah, I made made that. Yeah, so the next week you come back to do 700. Yeah, I was on the way up to the big weight, and that right. fell off. Most sweaty, it fell off my back. Somebody ah. tried to. Somebody tried to. I was just going to toss it. Yeah, I was going to toss it and leap, and, and a guy tried to grab me from behind. And he's going to bear hug me, and he's going to stand us back up. What? <laughs> well, you know, you know, they do that where they stick their arms underneath. Yeah, you. They, it's yeah, like, oh yeah, really, buddy. Oh yeah, you're going to pick. Okay, try. And that's and it got all tangled up, and gravity won. Yeah, that well, depending, that's like paralyzing you almost because it stiffens you out and you can't move. It wasn't my fondest memory, no. What yeah. were you headed up to, though? What was, uh, what well, was, I was your hope At the time, the world record was Danny Wobler's. That was one of Mark's uh, competitors. Danny yeah. Wobler had squatted uh, 871 in the 242-pound class. I was a few pounds overweight. I was a few pounds under that record. I was going to go for that record. Sounds like you would have done it. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I think I would have, yeah. but we'll never know. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. But I would never have been 
the world champion big league lifter. I was a good squatter. I was a decent deadlifter, but my bench was so bad there was no way that I would ever win a world championships in a weight division. My bench was would be two hundred pounds behind yeah. the class winners. I mean, at two at two forty two, routinely they have guys bench five fifty to six hundred. Yeah, that ain't a big deal. You know, well, it is if you got a four fifty bench. <laughs> You know what I mean? That bench is so boring compared to squatting a deadlift. Well, I know, I know. And I so, was, Marty, uh, was that your was that your max bench about four fifty? Yeah, that was a four forty. Was the best in competition four fifty, and that was a yeah. good strict bench. I weighed about two forty, two forty five, and then even at two forty, two forty five, I'm not going to scare anybody at five ten. You I'm, need to be two ninety. Oh man, I, that you know, and I learned that when I went with Mark. Now the great thing about Mark is I got introduced to high level. I mean, you know, the first season we were together, we were going to the nationals, and he goes when Mark Chalet goes to the nationals, man, he took twenty people, <laughs> right? And they took they booked a, a a plane. I mean, almost. I mean, everybody be in the same section and go to uh, wherever the meet would be. And you book out in the hotel, and all you would do is go to the meet. You go to the same place to eat that night. Yeah, watch the lifting. The lifting would be great because it was all one federation. Right. There's only one game in town. There was only one national champion. Yeah. Big big damn deal. Right. And Chile's in the thick of it, man. He's like, um, I don't know, man. He's uh, he's like Mark Coleman. You know what I mean? Yeah. He might not win it but damn it he might you know if the things fall you know if gamble has a bad day or stumbles watch out chile could be in there particularly with that damn deadlift yeah mark could pull some lifts out of his ass man he was a good <laughs> good, good deadlifter he thought add it up marty what do we need okay mark we need uh 835 okay no problem let's go yeah so rip that thing up those guys would be so shocked <laughs> They couldn't believe it. They'd build up 200-pound subtotal leads and have him blow that away in the first attempt. First attempt of the deadlift. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he was only good for two deadlifts in competition. That's all you got from him. That's uh, all I got, Marty. You got two. Nice. <laughs> so um, you, uh, you snap your leg. He was a, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, then what? So at that, well, actually, I had a eight, they had to re-break the leg. It didn't knit right. So about, I don't know, about six months into the thing, they had to break it again. And they had to do put oh. plates in it, what have you. Well, you know, I, that's when I got that 450 bench during the 18-month recovery period. I used that to bring up my upper body. <laughs> right. And um, when I got back, I actually went into a competition. And uh, two years after breaking it, I posted an 804 squat. Competition, yeah, and a 700 deadlift. But I knew at that meet, I said, uh, this ain't right. Uh, this will explode if you try this again. Yeah. Yeah, because don't you always and, and at that, that point? And that, and, that, and that was it, and that was it. So, like, from 84 on, I just coached. Mm. From 84 up in, what, and then in 19, because uh, in fact, in 1990, exactly. I got back into lifting. But but so psychologically a, speaking, were you just ruined from that break or, or were, were you able to, to overcome it? Well, if he squatted 804 two years later, I guess he's... Yeah, I mean, you know, you, 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 you have these small consolations. 
Yeah. Yeah. And the coaching was great because the coaching was that, that was irreplaceable. That's how I got to I I would have preferred to have been the coach than the lifter. The coach was far more interesting. I got to meet so many. I, the the Oh, that's a dog barking back there somewhere. Uh the, the I coached the Hall of Fame, you know. I coached in, in terms of the old school guys. I mean, in competition, imagine being able to be the competition coach of Lamar Gant. Yeah. I could spend you an hour talking about that, right? Yeah. Um, Dan Austin. Dan Austin. I coached Dan Austin at the 1991 World Championships in Orenbro, Sweden, where he won the best lifter. 148, pulled over 700. Uh, no. 165, 748. Yeah. I Unbelievable, man. And uh, did he ever, let me ask you this. Did he ever struggle with that deadlift? I, 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 no, it either went or it didn't. I never saw him miss a lift, so it didn't really. It was unbelievable. And it looked like he wasn't even trying, and the weight was flying off the floor. Yeah. It was the smoothest sumo deadlift I've ever seen. Uh, amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And right before the lift, we go out in front of a bunch of screaming Swedes. And when they didn't like you, they toot these horns. <laughs> right. They Oh, they were they were rude. So we come out and uh you know, we chalk up and I'm kinda of looking at the crowd and a little bit spaced out and Dan turns to me and he jabs me in the chest and he goes, Give me some power, Marty. I was like, Oh, oh. <laughs> whoa. <laughs> right. So I put my dad hand down him and we like prayed. And then he turned around and he went out and he pulled the world record deadlift. Wow. How do you know he meant pray? Uh, because he said, give me some power. And he put his head down and he put uh, his hands out. See, I thought he was asking to get smacked or something. Yeah, I thought he was. Uh, no, no, what no, if no, you no, just no. smacked him? No, 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 no. This was like a religious. He uh, didn't even, Dan didn't cuss. You know what I mean? Yeah. He was a gentleman. You know, he was uh, he was a class act. Yeah, nice guy. Uh, and then he turned around. You know, and then so he wins the best lifter at the world championships. So uh, <clears throat> your move. Vertanon at the award ceremony, he bombed out. He was going to Vertanon was going to win the the world championships and the and the champion of champion awards in the one eighty one pound class. Yeah, of course he was a rude Finn. Finns generally as a team were very difficult. Russians were easy to get along with. Finns were notoriously difficult. So. Bertman comes up. I'm standing with Dan at the banquet afterwards, right? And so and Bertman and his posse, and he always just smoking a Marlboro, smoking a Marlboro, smoking a Marlboro, smoking a Marlboro. Bertman always smoked a Marlboro, right? And so he comes up and he goes, to take between puffs. He goes, uh, Dan, I see you have my best lifter award. Hand it over. Huh. I'm like, what? <laughs> and Dan's like, what? And we like, you know, we kind of like, posture up a little bit. I mean, you know, what's going to go down here, right? I mean, these guys are going to jump us for the best. I mean, because these are the Finns. You never know. They might have had a couple of vodkas too many, you know. You never know, right? So, And then he, like, burst into that, ah, ha, 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 got you, you know, that kind of a thing. Uh, and, <laughs> yeah, there's a Gumpian episode a one, out yeah. of my life. How did I end up there? Right? And that was the that was the meet that Kirk won his first world championship. That's jumping ahead a little bit to ninety one. We should probably go back and finish up with Mark because 
you'd be at Mark's and uh, there would just be a cavalcade of great lifters would show up there to train on a regular basis or they come in on the weekend and they come in from Richmond and they come in from Boston, yeah. and they come in from Cleveland and they, you know what I mean? And it was, uh, it's like traveling to gold Venice. For, yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. Even better because if this was like, you knew about the greatest Italian restaurant in the world, but nobody else did. Uh, yeah. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't ever crowded. There wasn't a hint of commercialism right. about it. Yeah. But they didn't have any cardio. No, there were no t-shirts for sale or oh, what they did have. This was great. Both Mark Dimaduck and Mark Chalet both made great use of the tanning beds. Oh, yeah, you told me. Those boys loved the tan. They tan, they tan, they tan, man. We saw more of Mark Dimaduck tanning than we did training. Wow. <laughs> he was there all the time in the bed. How did uh, Chalet a, fit in that bed with those wide shoulders? Oh, I know. Well, don't worry about it. They got it. Uh, they got that one. <laughs> they got him crammed in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we, I think that gym rolled for six years. Uh, then they relocated. And by the end of the by the end of the, the tenure there, at the Nationals market steadily moved up. Uh, and I had gotten introduced to a wider circle of lifters, and I would, you know, Ed would, uh, Eddie always gets mad at me when I get the wrong date. Let's just say at some point in time, Ed Cohn approached me and said, "Hey, uh, Doug Furness couldn't make it. Could you handle me tomorrow at the competition?" Right? I was like, "Yeah, sure, of course, right, whatever you say, Ed Cohn." Yeah. Right. So we did. And it went really well. So at its peak, I handled Ed. I was Ed's coach when he totaled 2,400. The first, the lightest guy, the only guy that totaled 2,400 at 220. That's when he did the 900, 901 deadlift. Yeah. You're actually in that picture. Yeah, I called his numbers at that meet. Imagine you're working with this guy, and he comes up to you 10 minutes before the meet and goes, you call the numbers. I don't want to know what they are. <laughs> wow, man. I'm like, but what? you're actually in that picture of him deadlifting. Oh, I don't know. You're in the back of that thing, yeah. And didn't that deal, yeah, that, that coaching that, deal, go down in the middle of a, a crosswalk? Yeah. Uh, we, were, uh, we, <laughs> we were in Dayton. The best powerlifting power meets in the, of all time were held by Larry Pacifico at the Dayton Convention Center. Incredible. Unbelievable, though high point like me talking to you about this is like uh you know some you know some some old roman talking about how great rome was to a bunch of visigoths right they had pacifico had a beautiful hall held two thousand people beautiful stage uh, at its peak, he flew in Klaus, the funky organ player from Europe, who between lifts would riff on stage with the most incredible music you've ever heard. Oh, oh he also had a steam buffet in the lifting hall. We could walk down and these old grandmas would serve you this incredible food for like four dollars. Right. And beer was a dollar a bottle. I'm sitting nice. with 
I'm, yeah, I know. I'm sitting there with Bob Brandon. We're like in the second row. I said, Bob, I said, this is like dying and going to heaven. Could you imagine anything better? Yeah, no Listen and beer. We clinked our bottles and, you know, and we, for hours, and you'd see just, just the most amazing, you know, you'd see, uh, Cone, Gobbler, uh, you know, who else? Uh, Latimer, yeah. Jacoby. I mean, I mean, on and on. Uh, McCormick, uh, Larry Kidney, you know, Gamble. Uh, uh, who else? Doyle Kennedy. Uh, you know, on for that. It's like the Oscars, huh? Oscars well, of powerlifting. Yeah, go ahead, Jimmy. All those guys you just named are deadlifting over 800, all those big guys. Mm. Oh, I, mean, yeah. I mean, you know, you yeah. go to meets and you see maybe a guy get close to 800 if it's a national meet. I mean, those guys are all pulling 830, 847, 860. You know what I mean? And, it's crazy. Yeah, you know, and it was, there was all kinds of drama and there was good camaraderie. There were rivalries too, though. Yeah. <laughs> I remember one time we were there and, um, with with Ed, Ed was so intense when he lifted. He threw a body, right? He he would just like heat up. It was it was incredible. Didn't he used to gag? He used to gag too. Didn't yeah, he? not so much. I didn't notice that so much. What oh. I did what I did notice was the amount of body heat that this guy generated. <laughs> uh, and he and at then he totaled. I he had two great meets. The the 2400 at 220 was the best Jeez. powerlifting ever done. Uh, and, you know, he missed the third attempt in the squat, and that 900 was a second attempt. He actually that tried nice. 920. Yeah, he actually tried 920. He had, doubled, he had doubled 900 in training. Wow. Dead stop reps. Yeah. But he hadn't squatted 1,000 benched 550 and you know deadlifted whatever he deadlifted up to that point right there was a lot of lifting that went on for that 920 yeah how how high did he get the uh, 920 to his knees Uh, it was all anticlimactic yeah had done it it was the same thing with kowalski's thousand just thinking that after the thousand three you 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 get emotionally Burnout. I mean, it's yeah. a, it's a like I don't know, seeing Maris hit the 60th yeah. home run or you're something. Totally right? right, and you have and you have that number in your head for so long. Yeah. You're, you're not thinking about that other number, and all of a sudden, yeah. oh, now I got to do a thousand thirty-three. You know what I mean? It's like, which yeah. logic dictated he should have made? Yeah, based on the strength, based on everything, and if it'd been like in clinical conditions, right? Without an audience. Yeah. Right. Uh, because his strength, if a man doubles a thousand, yeah. what's he supposed to do for a single? Yeah, he should well, be. I, I think 1022 to 1023 is a minimum. Yeah. What's he going to do? 1002? Now, now, what was <laughs> Kirk's actual max weight scheduled for that day? Oh, I forget. I think it was 1033, but but he yeah. but we blew our emotional wad on the thousand. Yeah, no everybody, right. everybody went crazy. Yeah, I always stop kids when they hit a new a new max. Yeah, and, and but then again, at the time we're like, yeah, well, we'll blow right on past that. We didn't take into account the hoopla, right? Yeah, his shot. Oh, well, everybody! I mean, the whole place went crazy. Yeah, it wasn't just us. I mean, right. 
the the audience was going berserk. That's awesome, right? Uh, and you know, then again, you're I'm a part of it. It's like, uh, you know, what am I doing here? <laughs> so, when did Kirk? Do you want to start on Kirk? No, I don't think so because I think that that's a whole because okay. because what happens here's what happens. So. Uh, I'm at Mark's 80, uh, 1983, I break my leg, uh, 80. So we went from up to 88 and we go to the nationals or the, or the worlds. He went to the worlds in Dallas one yeah. year, took second, uh, probably should have won. We got beat. Then there was a schism. What happened was there was a schism in lifting that occurred. You get the exact year, and the APF was formed as a result of what they felt was the USPF was becoming too heavily favoring the officials over the lifters, right? Like they, the lifters felt that the organization was more benefiting the officials who were wearing the blue blazers and were getting rooms paid for and travel paid for. Yeah. As opposed to the lifters who, you know, at the time, the champions, you, if you were a champion, you'd get your airfare and hotel paid for, for as, returning, right? Uh-huh. If you're a national champion, you got your air and your hotel paid for for the next year. Right. Right. At, and to the world, you had your way paid. Okay. At that time. But they felt that the officials, they felt there were too many officials, there were too many rules, there were too many infractions, there were too many panels and juries, and all of a sudden they felt that there were more guys in blue blazers than there were lifters. Right. Right? And it was like, why do we need all these dudes? Right? Well, actually they did. As it turns out, uh, things got a little loose, a little too loose. So they formed another federation. And, they, and the idea was, well, we're going to form a, a federation for the lifters. But the problem with that was is that eventually it went uh, screwy the other direction, right? It got too loose, right? And it was too for the lifter. And so the judging got corrupted. The equipment got insane, yeah. right? And uh, everyone was left wondering, scratching their heads, where does the man end and the gear begin? Or where does the gear end? You know, you know, it's like no one knew anymore. Back in the days when, when Chalet was campaigning and Cone was at his peak, the gear was so, I mean, those bench shirts were horrible. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. guys, guys were getting 20 and 30 pounds out of those things, right? Like you bench 400, 405 raw, and you put a shirt on and you get 440. Yeah. Right? And it's like, okay. And they were horrible. They were so, oh, they were gruesome to put on. Terrible. The worst. Uh, and this, this, they had these squat suits that were made by George Zangus and who else? I forget. Well, Larry. Oh, I love those squat suits. Are those yeah. marathon squat suits? Marathon squat suit, yeah. And, uh, you know, your knee wrap definitely helps. A big belt definitely helps. So, you know, uh, 
the the poundage is starting to go up as the gear got good and as long as the judging was good and there was only one federation everything was fine yeah but when they split and the judging got weird and people started going well you know what's really a legal squat right it's like oh no we're ruined so Marty, quick question on that. Standard, yeah, we were, yeah. Quick question on gear. So, do you think the lifters have actually gotten stronger, or the the gear has just gotten better, putting those numbers up year after year? Oh, I don't know. I have no. I have no idea what's going on with powerlifting currently. I know last time I checked, <clears throat> the bench press record was more than the deadlift. Oh, that's, yeah. all, that's all. I, that's all I need to know, man, to tell you how crazy it is. Yeah. But you yeah. take that gear off. What's a guy doing raw? Six, seven hundred. Well, you know what? You know what? Those guys are squatting a lot now, raw. They, with just with just the single, the singlet and some sleeves. You know, it, they're uh, yeah. yeah they're, they're, they're sort of like Yeah, they're giant. And everybody they is wait, switching. Wait, 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 everybody, you know, all that stuff is a pain in the ass. That's right. You know, I mean, I remember I got tired of it, and I was like, shoot, I'm, I'm going in with just a singlet. I was. So free, sitting in the warm-up area, watching everybody struggle with all their wraps and straps, and I was like, "Yeah, but then you get beat by thirty-five pounds, and you go, wow. I yeah, just, man. It was, I just, just whipped by a weaker man.' Well, you got to have people there with. I mean, it's it's a whole thing. You got to have an entourage just to put your bench shirt on. Man, I used to get fired. Yeah. I'd be yeah. putting on bench shirts, and I'm like, you know how your fingers would go numb. <laughs> Yeah, it's like doing cardio, putting your shirt on. Oh, it was terrible. There was a 400-pound lifter named Mike Hall. Yeah, from Delaware. Yeah, and I became a coach for Black's Gym. They approached me and said, hey, um, you know, we have a famous national team. We'd like you to coach. So I became a co-coach with Bob Fortenball. John Black was sort of the manager. He would like book the hotels, get the lifters, you know, and we'd, we'd talk about who we wanted to lift for us and what have you. We'd have like a draft. And so when we would, when we would go to these, these competitions, it just kept getting more and more and more. The gear kept getting, and they stopped it in the USPF. They said, we're not going to allow like, the canvas suit or whatever was going on. And that was the start of it. And that's when I got out. I was like, no, I'm not having, I can't, it's just, you can't tell. It's just so ridiculous. You can't, and it's not, uh, the guys I train, I can't say, okay, hold on, go run home and get a bench shirt and come back, you know? And it's just, I can't, we can't, it's not the world we live in. Yeah. So anyway, why, why, why are we talking about that? That's that's insane. Uh, uh, gear, the gear was minimalistic, even when Mark 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 liked his gear. Uh, but it was you were, talk, you were talking about the split between the two. Oh yeah, and then the APF went off in their direction, and Ed and and Doug Furness went with them, which gave them gravitas. Uh-huh. But that, but they loved Larry. Everybody loved Larry Pacifico. Larry was a god back then, and um, so and it was a. I mean, man, we went to Hawaii for the first APF World Championships. That's nice. Yeah. Right? We went to Maui. 
they had the first APF World Championships in Maui, Hawaii, and, and guess what? They had a good good turnout, and there was some great lifting. Yeah, there's a right? real good picture of you guys. Yeah, yeah. what a backstage. Great had, yeah, Mark's putting. Uh, I think his brother Ray is putting uh, knee wraps on Mark. Uh, Mark's no, looking huge. Yeah, that's uh, that's a that's a different. Is that a different, different trip? Place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then after that, we went to Minnesota. And that's where Furness became the first guy to total 2,400 twice, regardless of body weight. No one had ever done it super heavyweight or any other weight. And he wow. was the first guy to total 2,400 twice. And then he quit. He's like, yeah, enough of that. There's no money in this, so I'm going to go become a professional wrestler. And, you know, he, he made a lot of money doing that. Uh-huh. Is there much money in this today? And what? In powerlifting and all that, or is it just all, you know, endorsements and things like that, I guess? Zero. No, they don't get endorsements. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Are you kidding me? No. Well, for equipment or supplements or? Well, if you branch off and you open up your own uh, equipment company or something, but they're not advertising. They're not, they don't, they're not used as models or anything. Yeah. That's more reserved for bodybuilding, I guess. Yeah. 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 Any other questions? Well, after, you know, the, now when you, when they moved from Temple Hills, Maryland to Landover, Maryland, were you still there? That's when I left. I, right at that time, I got a job offer to Ramrod a warehouse in Milford, Connecticut. So I moved to Milford in, I guess that was 88. And, uh, right at that same time, Mark moved his gym from over the auto parts store to the other place which is over there. I remember they had a, a missile. For some reason, they had like a missile outside. <laughs> I've been there. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about, right? I guess it's some sort of uh, army reserve place or something. But it, yeah. a missile in Chile. Now, he went from light and airy to dark and subterranean. I mean, it, yeah. was, it was a totally different. It was like a, a Velvet Underground vibe. Why did he move, though? They just needed some more space. Why don't you ask him? I have no idea. All right, what's his I wasn't involved in that. Now he's know. still training people. He still owns his own gym, right? I don't know. What you ask? Yeah, I think he does. I think he's got his own gym, and uh, he's Jimmy. still training people. And it's very active in fitness still. Good. All right. What uh, you know? You you really skipped over uh, Ed pretty quickly. I figured you were going to talk about. Uh... Yeah, I mean, you know, I wrote a, I wrote the book on Ed, literally. Literally. Yeah, you wrote his book. Yeah, his, yeah. and uh, it's a good damn book if you can find a copy. I heard they're four hundred and fifty bucks for it in Europe. Damn. Yeah, I bet that. That's a limited production book. Ed was the genius of his generation. As a training. I consider myself a training expert. I think I really know what I'm doing when it comes to that because I've studied so many people and there's a lot in the blender. And I think that kind of style of training, if I had a, a young talented lifter, this is, it's what I would want them doing. And essentially, I don't know, like I, I, call it power bodybuilding and he's doing his four lifts and he 
and he does his squats, he does his benches, he does his deadlifts. He considers the overhead press important. Uh, he'll make behind the neck guy. Yeah, it's the only one that he does, but but he will cycle it, and he does arm work. Um, but he also does like uh, stiff leg deadlifts and rows and chins and uh, what else, Jim? I don't think he. I don't think Eddie does any ab work, or he. I didn't see him do any ab work, but he's a huge bent over row guy, huge behind yeah. the neck guy. Um, you know that video. I got that VHS from Quad's gym years ago, and he freaking squats nine seventy five in that. Yeah, for a double. He behind the necks three fifteen or three sixty five or no four hundred five right four hundred four hundred. It was something crazy three fifty five. Yeah, it was it was nuts. He was pretty massive back then too. I mean, he's been putting uh, old videos up on his Instagram, and he's just thick and massive. Of course, when you're that strong, you're gonna be thick and massive. But you know, he's relatively short. But I mean, the the muscle mass on that dude was pretty incredible back then. Marty, wasn't he the only power lifter to have a weeder contract back in the day? Well, I'm gonna defer. You talk to him about that. I am not going to speak out of school on that because yeah. I would have to clear that with him before I get into anything with you. Yeah, because um, that's really between between Ed and Joe. But yeah. I, I will tell I will tell you this: his his popularity swelled way over uh, into outside the power world. There were people that wanted to know about this guy. In, in other arenas and deservedly so. And again, Jim, I take you back to, I think that that's a classical format where you do your core lifts, but you back them up with some reasonable assistance work. Yeah. And he would put space between his sessions. Um, he was a big rest guy. Um, he ate, he ate good, but he wasn't, he wasn't like a, you know, a slamming eater. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't any, he wasn't like a guy who was just like firing down food all the time. I've seen bodybuilders do that, but almost kind of gags you after a while, you know, with their mini meals. Yeah. Their never ending succession of mini meals. I guess they're probably sick of you, right, Jim? <laughs> they're sick of me. <laughs> and your, and your Tupperware containers. Dude, I don't do that. Oh, I really? On purpose, I, I I use it like a plastic bag and throw it in there. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah, that's what you should do. I just remember Ed's thick neck. His neck was about as wide as his, as his head. You know, he had that massive neck on him. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that is right. He was that's massive. Right. A giant uh, feet. I think he had like size eleven and a half feet. And his hands, he could. He had this thing where he'd come up behind you and he'd, uh, like, if you pinch your trap, there's a space where you can go through. And he would pinch his two fingers together and your skin would be in between them. Right? And it was like, oh, man, this guy could fling me across the room with this. Yeah. I mean, I am, I am powerless. Yeah. You know, had, you've mentioned his hands multiple it, times. It, it, but well, he's, yeah, hanging on He's on he's on Instagram comparing his hands with guys that are well over six feet, and his hands are bigger than they are. Yeah, yeah. And big hands, feet. If only Kurwaski would have had uh, the bigger hands. I was right? just thinking the same thing. 
Yeah. Yeah. Or but that Chalet was his. Had, Mark yeah, Sanders and Chalet did too. Yeah. Oh, incredible. But uh, yeah, so that was the, the golden era, you know, and, I, you know, you go to the USPF meets and, you know, you'd see Dave Jacoby battling Joe Ladnier. I mean, mm. I mean, my God, you know, it's like uh, Thor, you know, battling Zeus, you know, with Thunderbolts. And and you're, you're on the edge of your chair and you're looking around going, does anyone else see what's really going on here? And then Ladnier pulls his third deadlift with like 804 to jubilation and they turn it down two to one. Oh. oh right right you gotta hand those judges they had some guts man some of those calls you know ah yeah well they had so much guts that they split on them yeah that's crazy How I, much was standing, I was standing one next to one uspf official and he was looking at the squat he goes yeah a lot of people don't know there are 23 causes for disqualification of the squat i was thinking to myself that's about 2018 too many. Yeah. Right. 23, 23 separate and distinct disqualifications in the squat. <laughs> Marty, back then in those days, were you guys much of a community or were, were you guys kind of every man oh, yeah. for himself? Yeah, that was good. It was good. They'd all party together. They were yeah. a lot of beer drinking, a lot of, uh, yeah, eating. Man, these guys, man, now I tell you what. It seemed like the lesser guys were more extreme. Now, was it were that way because they were trying to become elite? But it right. seemed like that the guys, there would always be like an inner circle, inner, inner, right? With the cones and the furnaces and the gambles and the, you know, the Mike Halls and the Lamars at the center. And then it would be concentric circles outward. And it seemed when you get a few circles out that those are where your wild boys are. <laughs> <laughs> those See, are the guys. That from the stories that you tell, it was kind of like trying to get into the Hell's Angels. Oh, know, it was. There was always, always a there was always a strip club involved. There was always <laughs> some sort of some sort of somebody falling over a table involved. There was yeah. some, you know. Yeah, some of those stories. Uh, yeah, are fantastic, but Marty, you can't tell them because JP's got us doing the non-explicit. Well, also, I would need the, their permission. I would never. Yeah, you know, I would have to talk. You know, like. Well, uh, you have to change your names to protect the innocent. Yeah. Yes, like yes, like uh, Dragnet. Bitch, you know? <laughs> yeah. Only yeah, the name. Be careful. The guilty. Well, n- all right. So, where do you want to end it now? So, well, I think uh, again, I move. To Connecticut. Now, I did toward the end of my regime. I, we'll pick it up when I start working with Kirk. Okay. Because Kirk was at Chalet's, right. and he had a difficult relationship with Mark. And I really don't want to get into the ins and outs of that. But for I don't know, I'm thinking like now I had, you know, I'd run into Kirk earlier, like at Mark Peck, Marshall Peck's place. And at Joe Pavanelli's place. But as a regular, he was a regular at Chalet's. And he, his situation was different. I think he would show up later. I don't think there was any way he was making those four o'clock sessions. I, I seem like, to recall you guys initially thought he was a pain in the ass or something. And tried uh, to put him yeah, through all this uh, crazy uh, stuff. Yeah, 
realize that that was that was way early. Yeah, he was. Uh, <laughs> Let's talk about that next time. Yeah, yeah, we will. Because that's a say, good story. Let's just say this: Karwaski's ego really <laughs> ahead of his performance. <laughs> I love it. That's going to be some good content. All, All right. right. So we'll we'll end it there. We'll start with Kirk next time. And uh, now that was your Frankenstein. So that's going to be a lot of interesting info. All right. We can't tell it all because I've heard some wild stuff, but we'll get into a bunch of it. All right. So in the meantime, check out Marty's weekly column, Raw with Marty Gallagher at ironcompany.com. Also pick up uh, Marty's books, Purposeful Primitive and Strong Medicine at Iron Company. If you need gym equipment, plates, bars, rubber flooring, anything, check out Iron Company for all your gym equipment and flooring needs. Uh, And finally, we've got new Jim Steele articles. They can be found in the articles section, same place where Marty's articles can be found. Uh, You can also check out his website, uh, BassBarbell.com, for training uh, and motivational programs and writing about... Jim, you write about hunting, lifting... uh, Everything. Everything, people that cut you off, everything. Yes. <laughs> all, all, all right, guys, good one. We'll talk about Kirk next week. For Sounds great. Four. All right, Thanks, guys. guys. All right, bye. All right.